We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. To an off-season edition of the Rotowire NBA podcast, Nick Whalen here with Alex Perutha. Uh, Alex, we were fully back from Vegas, hopefully fully recovered. Uh, a lot of action out in the desert last week, including the 2022 Roto Vegas NBA draft. Uh, we'll touch on that a little bit later in the pod. Uh, one of those drafts that I think kind of acts as the official start of, of fantasy basketball season for us, which it's strange to say because it's not even really the official start of fantasy football draft season yet, uh, but but a ton of prep to do uh, in advance of next season. And it, it's kind of the official green light for things like, you know, combing through our projections, writing player outlooks, starting to put out our previews uh, because summer league's over. You know, we finally know where, where every player is going to land for the most part. Uh, although still a, a lot of, you know, kind of big time news pieces dangling out there. We, we still don't know where Kevin Durant is going to open the season same for Kyrie Irving, same for Donovan Mitchell. And, you know, you were just telling me earlier today, it, it's kind of astonishing how quickly two of these just massive stories, uh, Mitchell and, and Durant especially, have, have faded away. I mean, almost always when a player of that caliber hits the trade market, uh, in today's NBA, usually deals get done quickly. Teams don't want this to drag out. They don't, they don't want any of the negative attention that comes with it. But we're seeing two instances, two very different instances of teams, the Nets and the Jazz, you know, kind of keep their cards close to the vest and, you know, wait out for uh, what, what appears to be kind of, kind of like smoking out the rest of the league and just, and waiting for the best offer because uh, both teams asking prices have reportedly been exorbitant and, you know, normally a team would cave by now, but it just hasn't happened. Yeah. We at least got a little news on the Durant front with the, with the Boston stuff coming out. Uh, you know, the, the reported offer with Jalen Brown, but the Donovan Mitchell stuff has just been ice cold. Absolutely nothing lately. Yeah. Um, I mean, I think you're right. I think both these guys, they're not easy to trade, even though they're, I mean, obviously amazing players Durant, um, 
it's it's just a bizarre like there are just so few teams that I think are in a position to trade for him. I think there are more teams in position to trade for Donovan Mitchell, but um, it's still it's still not easy because it doesn't sound like the Jazz want um, necessarily like some young player who's about to get who is about to need a, a new contract on their books because Donovan Mitchell is what like 25, 26. So to start a rebuild, yeah, he's twenty five. So to start a rebuild, it's like, well, they probably want to take take on someone that's like 22 years old or no one. And then you're trying to, you know, you're trying to put Mitchell's contract into someone who has room. It's just, it's really tough to trade some of these guys sometimes. And obviously the asking prices are, are going to be high. Right. And with Durant, it's pretty straightforward. You know, if you're trading him, there's probably a waterfall effect in Kyrie Irving is next. Uh, I mean, the Ben Simmons piece, who knows? I, I have no idea what's going to happen with him. But if you're the Nets, you're essentially being forced into entering a rebuild. And there could be varying degrees of that, depending on what you would get back for those two players. For example, you know, had they done that deal with the Suns prior to, to Ayton re-signing, you know, if you're bringing back DeAndre Ayton and McCall Bridges, and then maybe you, you send out Kyrie Irving and you get another piece back, like you can at least field a decent team. You don't have to be in a 17 win team next season and completely bottom out. Uh, but if, if your package is more so built around young players, built around six first round picks, uh, that's the direction that you're ultimately going to go. But with, with Mitchell and the Jazz, you're right. It, it's a really unique situation because Mitchell himself is young. You know, I think most of the league would consider him a young player. But if you're the Jazz, you're trying to get as young as possible. And I mean, for better or for worse, in the modern NBA, you know, when you're when you're about to turn 26 in September, you're not old by any means, but you're, you're not really considered a, a future building block type of piece for a team that at this point, I mean, Utah is not going to be good next year. They're probably not going to be good the year after. I mean, you're talking three, four, five years down the road when you're really contending. So at that point, you know, you have to look ahead and say, okay, if we keep Donovan Mitchell on the team, we're going to have to sign him to another extension at some point. And when we're ready to contend, what is he going to be? 30 years old? Yeah, that's 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 an issue too. I, you know, again, you just start looking down the list of teams. Obviously, New York wants him. We talked about it on the last pod, like, you know, whether or not you have to give up Barrett. Do the do the Jazz even want Barrett because they have to make a decision on his contract? Do they think he's a max player? You start looking down the list of teams that were like playoff teams. Golden State, I, they don't have the they don't have the cap room to make that work at all, mm-hmm. especially if they want to keep Draymond Green around. Um, you know, I mean, Miami, that's been floating around, right? I mean, they could do the hero situation or your hero, but that sounds like they're not, you know, they wouldn't. Miami would, or excuse me, uh, Utah will get one bam back. I, I just, you know, we, we talked about like uh, Philadelphia, like maybe Maxi for Mitchell. But again, if you're the 76ers, you're in a situation where it's like, maybe you just keep Maxi. Like you have him under team control. He's really good, super young. Mm-hmm. So it's just hard to find like a, a perfect suitor. So I'm not really sure. And I, I don't think the Jazz are in like a huge rush either. I think they'd be fine like letting it play out. Um, maybe trading him at the all-star break. Like maybe someone gets injured yeah. on another contender. They get desperate. They need to trade for Mitchell, that sort of a thing. Right. I, I, I like Donovan Mitchell a lot. I, I think throughout this whole process, he's actually become a little bit underrated, but at the same time, he's not a guy who is, if he's on your team, you're going to be 10 games above 500 at the all-star break. You, know, you could still play it out and be a bad team, try to get the number one pick, trade him later and, and him being on your roster for 50 games isn't necessarily going to change that. Although you do worry about, you know, what that situation is. If you, if you basically clean house, but then keep your best player around, does he want to be there? Uh, you know, a guy who I think he's from New York. It, it's probably pretty obvious that he would, he would 
given the choice, like to like, like to play for the New York Knicks uh, instead of play in Salt Lake City. But, um, you know, it, it kind of feels like the Durant situation where, if, like, I'm looking at odds. Uh, they've been pulled at the DraftKings Sportsbook, but I dug some up from a couple weeks ago. And this was right after that, you know, that initial report that the Jazz were, were seeking offers. The Knicks were minus 200, uh, you know, by far the favorite to land Mitchell. Much like the Suns were almost minus 200. I think they might have been more. They might have been closer to minus 250 to land Durant. And if you were tracking those odds since the start of July, you know, every passing week, it would just kind of get higher and higher and higher. And all of a sudden, you know, the Suns were still the favorite. But um, I, I think if you could find updated odds today, the Knicks would not be minus 200. I, I don't know what other team would, would be higher, but uh, it just feels like for a couple of days there, you were just waiting for that Woj notification to see that Mitchell was traded to the Knicks. And it, it just never came. And, and now, now you got to wonder how long they, they end up taking this down. But um, I, I think it's almost more interesting to just talk about potential non-Knicks landing spots for Mitchell. I, I think that that debate has been, you know, we've we ran through it so many times. We, we know what that would look like. You know, you, you briefly mentioned the Golden State Warriors. I'm surprised that at the odds I'm looking at right now, they're 60 to one. Um, you know, you could argue bringing in Donovan Mitchell doesn't make a ton of sense, like stylistically, especially for a team that just won the title and really doesn't have a reason to shake things up. But if you're looking at it from just a pure talent upgrade perspective, I mean, could, could, could you do Jordan Poole plus the Andrew Wiggins contract plus a couple picks? Um, I mean, if, if you're Utah, I think obviously you're more interested in Moses Moody, Jonathan Kaminga, James Wiseman. I, I mean, one of the things I feel like we're not talking about enough with Golden State is I think the most likely scenario is they run it back. They try to develop those guys and bridge this dynasty, you know, throughout the next decade. But if they want, I mean, they have they have unique trade packages that could fit just about any situation. I mean, there's a reason that they've, they've kind of hung around in the Kevin Durant situation, too. Yeah, I mean, I, I've said this before. I think I think had if the history wasn't there between Durant and the Warriors, I think that Golden State package is like the perfect the perfect move for Durant picks plus those young guys. I think maybe they could do it for Mitchell. I, I don't know. I mean, you, uh, yeah, you move, you move Wiggins. I'm sure that, I mean, the jazz have a, a wide open center position right now. They could take on Wiseman, develop him. Um, I do like that. That is interesting. I mean, 60 to one, that does feel, yeah, that feels pretty long compared to like you're saying uh, they have a, they have a pretty realistic trade package. Exactly. I mean, the Wiggins contract allows you to essentially trade for anybody because you can match salary. And then the pool piece, you know, somebody that you're eventually going to have to pay, this would kind of be an avenue to avoid that. Uh, although, you know, if you're bringing in someone like Mitchell, obviously that's a high dollar player as well, but you know, you're subbing that salary out for, for Wiggins. I think the big difference between Golden State now and Golden State in 2017, when it acquired Kevin Durant is that back then they were, you know, they were coming off of a loss in the finals. Like there was a there's a plausible reason to shake up the team. Whereas now I, I think, you know, you just won the finals. I, I don't think there's a, a lot of impetus to, you know, to, to mess up what, what, what seems like a really good thing going forward, but I don't know, man. I mean, it, it, if this was like NBA 2K, this is a no brainer trade. Right. But I also think you could make the case that given how this roster is constructed with that backcourt of Curry and Thompson, I almost think what Andrew Wiggins brings to this team and, and certainly in the playoffs and in the finals might be more important than just adding another semi-redundant score to to Mitchell or to Curry and Thompson? Yeah, I get what you mean. Like, a, uh, he's a wing with size. You know, when you when you have Curry in the backcourt, you'd like a little more size with, like, Thompson and, and Wiggins back there, especially if you're going to continue to play small ball. And you also are sacrificing some depth because, I mean, the fact is, like, 
Poole, Wiseman, Kaminga, those guys are legitimate players for Golden State. Wiseman's a little TBD, but like Poole and 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 uh, Kaminga, Moody might move in more if if they uh, if if dollar retires. I mean, these are going to be legitimate twenty minute per game plus rotation players for Golden State. So you also have to kind of factor in like getting rid of those guys who are going to improve throughout their careers or, or year over year and trading them for Mitchell. So it's, it'd be a tough decision. You know, if you're the Warriors, I think you would really have to think about it, but I think it, it, I think it's kind of like the Celtic situation with Durant. It's like, whatever you do, I think you feel pretty good about the outcome. And I think a lot of times when teams are in that position, they just prefer to keep their guys that they have for the team chemistry, for the fans, all that stuff. Right, and for developmental purposes. I mean, the Warriors are in just an ultra-unique situation. I don't know that there's ever been anything like this, where a team that wins the finals also has maybe, like, the most intriguing under-22 core in the league. You know, like, that just that doesn't happen. And a unique set of circumstances led to that. So I, I wouldn't blame them for standing pad. And ultimately, I think that's what happens. You know, the other thing, too, is the way that superstars are, are shaking loose at this point in the NBA. I mean, at, at some point over the next, like, 12 months, you could probably expect one to three really big names, you know, top 20, top 30 guys are, are going to shake loose. Like if I'm Golden State, maybe I'm thinking, I don't want to cash out this package. Like if I'm going to put Wiseman, Kaminga, Moody, Poole, Picks, uh, the Wiggins contract, if I'm putting any of that on the table, I need it to be for a top 10 guy. And, and maybe Donovan Mitchell doesn't quite fit that bill. And, and I don't know who it's going to be. Maybe you're, you're waiting for Luka Doncic to ask out of Dallas, or you're waiting for uh, Giannis to ask out of Milwaukee. Um, all those things seem really implausible now, but a lot of the guys that we've seen, you know, move teams over the years, if you, if you rewound the clock a year earlier, you really wouldn't have expected it to happen. Yeah. Yeah. That's important to factor in as well. Um, and I think like, like, like you mentioned, they're in a really unique position. One of the most unique positions we've ever seen from a team from a win now plus development standpoint. So I don't, I don't think they're in a rush. No. Um, yeah. I think Miami is really interesting. For Donovan Mitchell, I I wrote up on a, an article for the site yesterday just looking at NBA title odds. And I think the Heat were 12 or 14 to 1. And, and at yeah. that number, I mean, this is a team that was one game away from the finals as currently constructed last year. I, I think I kind of like betting that future now under the expectation that maybe they trade for Donovan Mitchell. Because if you're able to do that without giving up Butler and without giving up Bam, you know, it, it's Tyler Hero, it's Duncan Robinson's contract, it's a bunch of picks the supporting cast is going to be questionable. You know, losing someone like PJ Tucker is huge, but if they could go into next season or even at the trade deadline, you're going forward with your top three of Butler, Adebayo and Mitchell. I mean, that that's a team that I think could very easily win the East. Yeah. They don't, they don't have a ton to work with. And as far as trade guys go, right. It's mostly just hero and picks. Yeah. It depends how much they like hero. Right. And so I, I think they're, you know, even if it's not for Donovan and Mitchell, I think there are probably guys who they could, in theory, flip hero and picks for that would upgrade them. And I, I think you're right. You know, we have to put it in context that they were uh, basically a shot away from really being in the in the finals. Um, I they worry me a little bit just because of the age of Butler and Lowry and the missed games and how bad Lowry looked at times. Um, but I, I don't hate the number, and I think they'll want to keep. You know, like they're gonna want to push the envelope. They're gonna want to push their chips in if they can to get win now pieces. I don't think I don't think they're thinking like, oh, we'll phase out Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry, and then he'll be like the Tyler Hero, Bam out of bio era. I think they just want to like go for it now. 
Um, so yeah, I think I think twelve to one is fair for them. Yeah, I think that's all correct. What worries me most about Miami is that Jimmy Butler, according to his Instagram, has hair extensions. I don't know if you saw that. He I has saw like that. Long, yeah. He has like long dreadlocks now. Zion apparently is growing his hair out. I need I need a heads up on this. I, I can't. This can't just be sprung upon me on Instagram. <laughs> no. Is there any other team for Mitchell that makes sense? I I really am wondering why the Lakers are listed at eighteen to one. What possible package uh, the <laughs> Lakers would be sending back that would interest? Um, interest the Utah Jazz. I mean, it's short of Anthony Davis being involved, which even if you're Utah, I don't know why you would want Anthony Davis at this point. Like that is a guy that if he's healthy, raises your floor, uh, maybe to a point that you, you, you wouldn't really want uh, given your situation. Other than that. Yeah. I mean, you, you could make a case for the nets uh, potentially uh, if you're, if you're doing some sort of like either Kevin Durant swap, which again, much like the Anthony Davis situation, why would you want Kevin Durant with a bare roster around him? Right. Um, I think the interesting one there is Ben Simmons. Yeah. I mean, uh, if they're interested in Ben Simmons, that's the problem. It's like, because Ben Simmons is also, he's 26. He's older than Donovan Mitchell. So uh, you could do it, but I, I think we already saw, you know, ben, they probably are going to assume Ben Simmons is not going to be happy in Utah. It's just, I, in, I'm with you in that. I, I, I think in theory, uh, it's interesting. I, I would still like to see Simmons with like kind of a team around him. I, you know, it, it just feels like a pipe dream at this point. I don't really know what his career is going to turn into. Mm-hmm. As far as other teams, I, I really don't know because you're trying to think of other teams that are basically in a win now position that have a very, very young player that they're willing to give up for Mitchell, who's not so promising that they're happy to keep him um it's just the list is the list is so thin like a lot of these teams they just don't they don't have the young talent or they don't have the picks because they gave up the picks to get good now um yeah so i i'm not really sure yeah it's it's a unique situation and it's it's good i think for the other 29 teams that they're kind of expecting this unique trade package that like really very few teams can put together and ultimately maybe that leads to utah kind of lowering its expectations at some point. Do you think had uh, the Kings not traded Halliburton last year that there could have been a Halliburton for, for Mitchell kind of a thing going on? I I think there absolutely could have been. And that's really like, that's kind of the exact type of player you would want, right? You almost have to, you have to look at like the last three, maybe four drafts to find a player who's younger than Mitchell. And most of those guys, like most of the good players from those drafts, are still on their rookie contract with, with the team that wants them there. You know, I mean, the, the Halliburton situation was just bizarre from the start. Like, I don't know why Sacramento traded him. Uh, I, I think it was a boon for Indiana to get their hands on him. But, like, you know, the Timberwolves aren't trading Anthony Edwards for Donovan Mitchell. The the Hornets aren't trading LaMelo Ball for, for Donovan Mitchell. I, I mean, unless you're really trying to take on, you know, more like a developmental piece, like, I don't know, like an Onyeka Okungwu or somebody like that who's shown promise right. but hasn't really proven that he's good, it's just – yeah, really weird situation. Um, I also Googled to see if Ben Simmons is Mormon by chance, and he is not. Uh, at okay. least there's no evidence. There's no evidence that he is. So uh, not sure what the fit would be there. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. 
Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I want to move on to uh, just a, a general list that I put together of players who are either in kind of unique situations, uh, but more accurately, guys who, as I go through and, and do our projections and you know, we're, we're formulating a set of rankings for NBA.com, guys who I'm just having some trouble with. And I, I have a long list. We probably won't get to everybody. But the, the number one thing I'm noticing as I go through and do projections is game counts are, are just way, way down. And this is not news to anybody who's followed the NBA, you know, for the last decade, but especially over the last couple of years, you know, I'm, I'm going through and, and I oftentimes kind of manually will double check game counts, make sure everything's good. It's very rare that I'm putting anybody over like 73 games played these days. Yeah. And I know the last couple of seasons, you know, two years ago, it was a shortened season that throws things off. Last year, it felt like everybody missed somewhere between two to five games due to COVID. But even without that, it just doesn't feel right penciling somebody in for 79 games anymore. No, very few guys are playing that much. Um, yeah, I was I was thinking the same way. I was, I was writing some outlooks, and I felt like in the past, if a guy played 65 games, I would it was, like, very noteworthy. Like, it, you would mention, like, this guy missed time because of this, like, yeah. you know. It's like now I don't even it's like it, it's almost not even worth mentioning sometimes. It's like, yeah, they just like miss 15 games. Everyone misses 15 games. Um, so, yeah, we are. I think we are in an era where you are you are hoping to get 75 games out of guys. And there are some really tough situations, too. You know, you factor in teams like Oklahoma City who have been like the bane of fantasy players existence, especially if they like guys in that team. Like I like Shea Gilgis Alexander. It's like, OK, well. If I'm assuming Shea Gilgis Alexander, in theory, would play like 70 games, and then well, he's on OKC, so they might rest him down the stretch, or they might rest him more if he's hurt. It's like, what am I getting? Like, it might do I have to just project mm-hmm. Shea Gilgis Alexander to play like 60 games, 65 games? So it's there are some really tough situations with right. with game counts, and and you don't want to go too far the other way. Like Malcolm Brogdon. Right is a good example. I mean, he's playing like 50, 51, 56, 61 games. It's like statistically, he's probably going to play like 54 games this year, but we, we, we tend to err on the side of optimism just because, you know, our rankings on the site will, will take into account game count. So if you put somebody way low, you know, I think they're going to, it, it kind of takes like the worst case scenario approach. So we, we try to find somewhat of a middle ground, but just looking at last year's top 50 players in terms of VORP on basketball reference, which, you know, it's not like this is a perfect list of the top 50 players in the league, but it's a, a pretty decent uh, metric to look at. Only eight players in the top 50 played at least 75 games last year. Eight. Yeah. And this is yeah, a cumulative I... stat, too. I mean, it, it would be, I think it'd be worse if we looked at, um, you know, points per game or something like that. I mean, a lot of it, like playing more games helps you rank higher in this stat. 
Right. You still got guys like LeBron is fifth and he played 56 games. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And I think it's, it's good to mention that some of it was COVID like guys were missing like a week or two here and there, although things were less strict. Maybe it happens again this year. People are still getting COVID. Um, that's, you can't predict, like you can't really plan for that. I guess if you know a guy's unvaccinated, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what to do with that, but um, you're right. It's uh, and it's hard too. And, you know, it's really frustrating when you play in uh, weekly lineup leagues because there's just a lot of situations where you set your lineup on a Monday, guy gets hurt on a Tuesday or catches COVID on a Tuesday, or the team decides, hey, we're going to sit them on this back-to-back, like, semi-randomly. Um, and these guys, you know, you just – they might play 56 games, but the last few weeks of the season, you're not getting, probably, in fantasy. And then you're just going to end up missing games randomly. You might get, like, 45 games. It hit, like, 45 fantasy games out of some of these guys. It's, like, it's tough. Yeah, so that was one overarching thing that I noticed, and we, it, I think it's going to be permanent. I, I don't, you know, maybe everything becomes cyclical at some point, but I just don't think there's there's really a reason, or I don't even think teams want guys playing 82 games anymore, right? No. I mean, remember a few years ago, like LeBron made a point to play every game, and you know, Tristan Thompson was always an 82 game guy. Andrew Wiggins was always an 82 game guy. Like 75 is the new 82. I feel like. I think so. I mean, I guess I guess the thing that is. I, I don't know if we need to, if everybody's playing less, I don't think it, it, it doesn't hurt the space as much, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so if everybody's playing a little bit less, I think it'll be fine. But yeah, I mean, you're looking at this list. Everybody's like the max is like 75 Halliburton played yeah. 77. Mikhail Bridges played 82, which is the first guy I saw at 82 on this list. Yeah. I mean, the guys who finished second and third in MVP voting played 68 and 67. <laughs> And right. the fourth place guy played 68. The fifth place guy played 65. So yeah, it's a league wide thing. It's not like it's just affecting certain teams or certain guys. Um, so the, the first two guys I have on my list who have been difficult to project and, and a little bit difficult to rank. Uh, we don't have to go too deep because we, we've already talked about him, but Kevin Durant and, and Donovan Mitchell, you know, at this juncture, you kind of have to just project it as if their current situation will be their situation when the season opens. We have no idea if that's going to be the case, but um you know, with Durant, it's a little more straightforward. I think maybe some people will take, you know, how he played against Boston over those four games in the playoffs and say, you know, maybe he's going to start to diminish a little bit. I, I'm not really in that camp quite yet. I think it was just a uniquely bad series by Durant and, and he'll be just fine. But I mean, if Donovan Mitchell opens the season on this Utah team that has been completely cleaned out, I, I think in the end, it's probably a pretty significant boost for his fantasy value. Uh, yeah, I think, I think it'll be huge for his fantasy value. I mean, as the team is constructed, I mean, Conley's still there. Bogdanovich is still there. So they're not like completely, they're not completely, uh, tanking yet. Although they're apparently going to start Walker Kessler at center. Um, so, but I mean, yeah, he ever, he already averaged 26 a game last year. Same with the year before Gobert's gone. That opens up plenty of stuff. I think they'll just turn into like more ISOs for Mitchell essentially. So he could be 30 a game next year. That would, I mean, if Donovan Mitchell averaged 30 points, six assists with Utah Jazz for as long as he's on the team next season, I don't think that should shock anybody. Oh, we'll have to find uh, – I'll, I'll see if the DraftKings Sportsbook has like, scoring leader odds because, I mean, even if, even if Donovan Mitchell plays two-thirds of the season for the Utah Jazz, I, I think there would be a pretty decent chance um, that, that he, could, he could be in the mix for, for the scoring title just by virtue of what that team – 
could look like, especially with no Gobert. I mean, not that Rudy Gobert is taking 20 shots a game, but um, I think that frees things up in the lane. Obviously, you know, I don't know if Mitchell ever actually came out and said it, but I don't think he loved that style of play, you know, having a, a traditional center who doesn't space at all. Um, that would be a very bad team, but I could see Mitchell averaging like 31 a game on, on probably a, a lower shooting percentage. The, the next two guys are, you know, one of them is indirectly affected by the acquisition of the other, and that is Trey Young and DeJounte Murray. And yep. uh, of those two, I, I think it's pretty safe to say that Trey Young's value will be more sustainable relative to what he's done the last two years. DeJounte Murray is one of the most difficult players, not only this year, but like I, since I've been doing projections, one of the most difficult projections I've ever had to do because obviously it's a new situation. You're joining a, a really high usage, unique player in Trey Young. And he's also coming off of this crazy breakout season that we really are not sure if it was a one-year blip or if this guy's just going to be sniffing a triple-double average every year now. Yeah, when you when you first mentioned that you wanted to like do this subject, tough guys to rank for the podcast, the first guy I thought of, DeJounte Murray. I was like, I, I, I don't know what to do here. Um, and a lot of times in these situations, I kind of try to – like we have the on-off court numbers, um, you know, on rotowire.com for – uh, for teams and I try to replicate the scenario as much as possible so for the Spurs for example like you could put like how does DeJounte Murray how did how did he do last year with you know uh Derek White and Keldon Johnson on the court you know I mean just like trying to replicate the scenario where there's other high usage guys on the court it's still not, it's still not perfect right and it's like Trey Young is one of the most high usage players in the NBA um I just I don't know how it's going to get distributed because I like I'm sure DeJounte Murray is going to run the second unit, right? Like I'm, I'm sure they'll stagger Young and Murray. He'll run the second unit. I just don't know what to think when they're on the court at the same time because Murray's not a great three-point shooter. He's like 32% over the past two seasons. Um, so his floor spacing is not great. So in theory, you'd want him to be the one with the ball. I, I don't think Trey Young's going to be doing a bunch of off-ball. It's just no. there's no there's no great – uh, way to rank them here and this is part of the reason i didn't love this trade for atlanta i i like i lo always love the idea of just getting more talented and oftentimes you can figure it out but this is a really weird fit and yeah I, I just i don't think you can really have another ball handling guard who can't shoot threes next to trey young that's just trey young doesn't really have the size to play off ball like i, I think in theory it makes sense you know you can have trey young spot up you know he'll, he'll be an even better shooter when he's not you know coming off of a pick and roll and launching from 27 feet. Like I get that, but I think the idea, the idea of like trading off between two ball handlers always sounds much better in theory than in practice, because it actually means that the guy who had one of the highest usage rates in the league now is going to get the ball taken out of his hands. And right. I, I think it's all good when you first make the trade, but when you actually have to give those possessions up, it, it becomes a lot harder. So I, I don't know, man, I, I think, I think DeJounte Murray's scoring is going to go way down. I, I don't think he's going to get to 20 points a game again. Um, I mean, the assists, I, I think, which almost doubled last year over his 2021 numbers, I, I think those are going to have to go down just by virtue of not being the number one ball handler anymore like he was last year. The assist, I mean, the rebounds could maybe sustain. He's always been a really good rebounder for his position. Uh, but you're also on a team that has Clint Capella and John Collins. So right. I, I think we went from thinking – I mean, right after the season, we were talking about DeJounte Murray as, you know, a, a justifiable, like, late first-round pick. And I, I don't – I just don't know where he's going to come off the board now. I, I still want him, but definitely not in the first round. And I don't know. Does this push him, like, all the way out of the second round? 
Maybe I, you know, I, I, I did, I ran the, I ran the numbers quick with him on the court with Derek White and Keldon Johnson. Not that those guys are like extreme usage guys, but he averaged 17 and eight. Um, and that could end up still being high. And you mentioned the rebounding too. That's that might end up being a big swing piece. Like maybe he averaged five rebounds a game instead of like eight. Um, and that, so that's, that's really hard to tell. Like two, like two years ago, when he kind of first had his like sort of mini breakout, um, he was 65th in per game fantasy value last year. He was 12th. So I don't think he's going to slip back down to 65, but you're right. I think, I think maybe he is like late second round, early third. I think that's probably where people are going to feel a little more comfortable taking the risk because at the very least, I'm pretty confident. He's still going to be a high steals guy. Yes. Like he could lead the league in steals again. And that's, yeah. that's huge. That's the biggest thing is if he can if he can average two steals a game again, he's going to be super valuable no matter what. But I think the rest of his numbers could probably end up looking a lot closer to two years ago than last year. You know, I, I think the assists will be closer to five a game than nine a game. And, you know, the rebounding probably recedes a little bit. Uh, he should still play a ton of minutes. I mean, this is a Hawks team that has very little depth. Uh, but you also have to remember, I mean, he was he was the complete engine of that Spurs team last year. And I mean, not only are you you're now sharing touches with Trey Young, but if we're being honest, he's probably going to end up taking a back seat. Yeah, I think so. All right, next on the list, SGA. And my yeah. only question here is how many games? We're going through year three in a row now of – we know what to project stat-wise. It's, it's been pretty good. It's, it's been a little up and down um, in terms of the efficiency, but the counting stats have been there. It's just a matter of how many games. And I'll, I'll check what I have him at right now um, just for posterity. I have him at 66 games. I think that's fine. I think like it's kind of like what I mentioned before. It's like you just gotta assume you're getting 60, 65 games out of out of SGA. Um, you know, last year he played 56 and still managed to rank 47th in total value. And he was 27th in per game value, 32nd the year before. I think I think he I mean he's clearly like second round upside, but um, you know, with the concerns about you know, the, the OKC down the stretch, I think you try to get them in the third round and, and hope that that ends up, you know, working out. Cause if you do get 80 games out of him somehow, it's going to be huge, but um, I'm, I'm as big of a fan of, of SGA as anybody. I think he's, he's going to end up being one of the better players in the NBA. Um, uh, any tons of metrics that you can look at, paint him as an excellent two-way player, good passer, great scorer, had a bit of a down year from three, but I think that's an anomaly because his first three years in the league, he was like 36 to 40%. Um, he's still a guy I'm going to target if he's on the board in the third round. I will too. I mean, it's just, it's frustrating. I had him yeah. in, I had him in NFBKC last year and I, I thought I had a really, really good team there. And it was a combination of, of him getting hurt again. And then Paul George going down that, you know, once that happened, I was pretty much sunk. Uh, but it's just, it's really risky. You know, it's, it's, it's kind of sucks knowing that at any time, you know, a team could voluntarily shut him down and um, we've seen it already. I mean, even last year we were asking like, is it really worth doing this to a player who you're trying to develop? And the answer was yes. And I, <laughs> I don't think that's, I don't think that's going to preclude them from doing it again this year, honestly. Uh, but, but we'll see. I, I hope they at least put forth a slightly better effort and, and try to win more games. I, I, my next item on the list is Paolo Bancaro slash the entire magic team. I thought it was interesting. I, I want. I think it was Zach Lowe earlier this week on a pod uh, mentioned that 
he, he said Cole Anthony is, is just going to have to accept moving back to the bench uh, because he thinks they're going to start Markel Fultz yeah. and Jalen Suggs, which I can see that. I, I think that's probably the ideal setup. Um, I, I, I have no idea what that means for, for valuing Cole Anthony fantasy wise, because I, I think he was obviously the, the primary beneficiary one of Jalen Suggs being terrible and injured last year and two Markel Fultz missing 80% of the year. So if you're assuming that Suggs is more competent and plays more games, and you're assuming that Markel Fultz plays at least 60 to 65 games, you know, does that push him into this kind of Jordan Clarkson type of role? Like he's, he's a really unique player stat wise too. Yeah, surprisingly good rebounder for his size. Very good uh, rebounder. Cole Anthony, it's, it's really crazy. I um, Yeah, I think he could end up in like that six-man role. Uh, last season, played 32 minutes a game, ranked 90th and 8-cat. Uh, you can't – you can't. You just can't draft him there. Like he's, he's out of the 10th round, 11th round. Like I think he's just a flyer at this point because – and like I'm, I'm actually – I'm kind of I, I in the in our Vegas league draft. I grabbed Fultz late. I don't remember if he was my last pick or not. But um, um, he was your he, last pick, yes. He played really well at the end of the year, and like he played he played 18 games, 20 minutes a game. All right, pretty small sample size, but per 36 minutes, it was 20 points, 10 assists, two steals. And um, you know, I, I I've seen people pass around clips on Twitter of how Fultz looked at the end of the year. It's really good. I think they still have a commitment to him because they did sign him to that pretty significant deal mm-hmm. um, a few years back. So I think they want to see what they have there. And um, I think, I think this, I think Suggs is going to start just because of his like draft, uh, his draft position. Uh, but I wouldn't be surprised if Cole Anthony sneaks into that spot, if Suggs is bad again. So mm-hmm. I, I, I think, um, I think it, Cole Anthony's playing time is going to depend a lot on how Jalen Suggs does specifically. You kind of went sicko mode with your last five picks in this Vegas <laughs> draft, and and at the end we'll you know we'll, oh we'll do God. a quick recap. But uh, you finished out with Bancaro, Isaac, Sexton, Covington, Fultz. So you got <laughs> you got one guy in Sexton who hasn't played since November. Uh, Covington, I like. I think like you always end up with him. Just a, just a great guy to have on your roster to fill some holes but three Orlando Magic players with your last five picks. Yeah. Um, in this league, which is it's a kind of a unique, only a five-category points league, you only start six guys. Um, so you can definitely take some chances at the end of the draft. But in this format, I, I actually like the Isaac pick. I have no idea how many games he's going to play. I would set the over-under at probably 45 for this year. But if he gives you any more than that, uh, I mean, just the steals and blocks alone are, are going to make that pick worth it. I, uh, man, I, I can't quit Isaac. Uh, the, if he's on the board, I, I jumped the gun a little bit, taking him in the seventh round. I think, I mean, I think his, I think his ADP is going to be all over the place, but I'll tell you in like a standard 12 team league, if he's on the board in the eighth round, I'm just taking him. I, the upside, the upside is too high. Like if he plays 28 minutes a game, he's going to be putting up like block and steal numbers that are crazy. I know he's competing with Paulo Bancaro for minutes essentially at this point in Franz Wagner. Um, but his, his upside was so high. So I don't know. Hopefully we'll, hopefully we'll actually get some information on him. And I'm not just like, just, uh, you know, taking shots in the dark on whether or not Isaac is going to play like 28 minutes or not. Yeah. Super weird situation. Like I, it would not surprise me if he comes back and his career is back on track by the end of next year. 
it would also not surprise me if he like takes a medical retirement by the end of next season. Like, <laughs> both of those, seriously, like, those both seem equally likely. Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, all right. Damian Lillard next up here. Yeah. Right? We don't have to spend a ton of time on this. I am of the belief that a healthy Damian Lillard will pick up where he left off as one of the best and most reliable and most consistent point guards in all of fantasy basketball. I, I think he's going to be really good. Um, but I, I, I just want to know if there's any, you know, now that he finally got hurt, uh, you know, his, his first like real injury of his entire career. Is there any trepidation here for you? Not for me. Nope. Okay. I, uh, <laughs> I, uh, I wrote the outlook on him like yesterday and uh, I was, I positive spin for me. I was like, listen, uh, CJ McCollum's gone. Anthony Simons is good. He's not as good as CJ McCollum. They want to win. Lillard's the man. He's 28, 30 points a game. I'm all in. Draft him the first round. If you can get him at the end of the first round, I think it's an actual steal. Um, Yeah. I just wrote on the site today that I think he's the best long shot bet for MVP at 50 to 1. And, I like that. You know, do I think he's going to win it? Probably not. But I, I think at 50 to 1, you have to think about it. You, you get the yeah. built in comeback player slash MVP narrative because he barely yep. played last season. I don't know. Maybe this new look Blazers team is better than we think. Um, I, I, I don't know. Like, of all the guys beyond like 20 to 1, there's really not a great argument. But I, I think he at least has somewhat of a narrative. Uh, this brings us to James Harden who we, you and I spoke about on the XM radio show earlier today. You gave a really good breakdown uh, of Harden. And I, I think you made the key point that a lot of fantasy players know, but I, I think a lot of casual or even diehard NBA fans who don't play fantasy don't realize is that for all the, uh, I, I typically don't use this word, but we are on a podcast, for all the crap that James Harden took last season and, and how much of a hit his reputation has taken Still an extremely, extremely good fantasy player who should probably be taken in round one of most drafts. Absolutely. If I'm at the turn and Harden is there, I am not thinking twice. Um, I took him at 10th in our in our Vegas league. Like you mentioned, uh, a lot of hubba baloo uh, going around about Harden last year. Uh, I'll, I'll still average that. Yeah, uh, still average 22 and 10 with eight rebounds, 1.3 steals. Shooting percentage fell off a cliff, five points. Uh, lower than the previous season, three points worse from three. Didn't matter. Still ranked fifth in per game value in eight cat leagues. The man's a monster. I, I just, even if he gets marginally worse again, he'll probably still be a first round value. And like, I'm not even, I'm not even really considering all the 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 PR propaganda that pro hearted skinny hardened uh, propaganda that's out there if that didn't even exist and I saw pictures of Harden eating pizza and uh, you know, it, I wouldn't care. I'd still take him the first round. So um, he's 32 years old. He's not like, he's still in his prime. I'm not, I'm not worried about it. This is a man who has his uniform retired at a strip club. And yeah, that was, I, that was in the middle of his MVP run. Like he's doing just fine. All right. I, I I'm not worried about that either. I think, I think he's actually due for a pretty major bounce back. Um, I, I don't. I don't think he. I think he's probably done competing for MVPs. Like I, I think that level of hard to play is probably gone. And, and part of it too is he's you know he's not the best player on his team anymore. He's playing with Embiid. Uh, but I'm, I'm pretty bullish on, on what we're going to see from Harden next year. Maybe I'll be wrong, but uh, you know he, he's burned us before. But I, I think he's going to have at least a really really good regular season. Come playoffs, I mean who knows? Um, all right, we'll try to zoom through these last few. Zion Williamson. 
obviously one of the most difficult players to project from a games played perspective. Um, you know, we, we have one full season of what Zion looked like statistically. It was extremely impressive. And I, I forget what, what the total game count was. I think it was like around 72 for most teams two years ago when he played. Um, so you see 61 games and you think like, oh, he missed 21 games, but that was the abbreviated season. Like he was healthy almost that entire year. Made the all-star team. Made the all-star all team. And if I remember correctly, he, he missed the final like six or seven games with like a wrist injury or something. Yeah. Um, and had they, had they been closer to playoff contention, I, I think he probably would have played. Yeah. He's, he's tough to project for multiple reasons. Uh, obvious one being the injury risk. Um, we should mention that last uh, two years ago during that bubble or what ended up being the bubble year, he ranked 50th in per game value. Very good. Obviously his field goal percentage is crazy. Points are crazy. Not giving you any threes. Free throw percentage is terrible. Um, I think the other thing you have to consider is that this team looks extremely different than it did when he was playing. Like it, it's just not the same team anymore. Ingram is obviously still there, but now they have CJ McCollum at point guard and they have Jonas Valanciunas at center. Um, I don't think point Zion is going to happen uh, like it was at the end of uh, of this that season two years ago. I don't think he's going to be handling the ball like that. Um, so it's kind of tough to know exactly what his like assist holes are going to look like. But I mean, whatever role he's going to be in, he's going to post some ridiculous field goal percentage numbers. Could average close to 30 a game again. Who knows? Yeah. Um I, I'm relatively bullish on him. I took him in the fourth round of of this draft, and I, I'd actually be surprised if he if he uh, lasts that long in, in most leagues this year. Yep, I agree. He's somebody that everybody wants to manage uh, on their team, and that that probably bumps him up. Like honestly, in some cases, like a full round or two. And we even saw that last year when there were significant red flags during draft season. People were still taking him really high because you you just don't want to miss out. Uh, on what could be like an all-time statistical, you know, Shaq type of year uh, if he stays healthy. Uh, but we'll see. I, I, I have I have my questions about how he's going to fit on a team with a, you know, much more established, much more confident Brandon Ingram, um, you know, an established scorer and CJ McCollum. Like they don't, they don't really need Zion to come in and be a 30-point-per-game guy. But when he's healthy, it comes so easy to him that like he can – like I remember not even being like all that impressed two years ago he was just kind of like backing his way into 25 to 30 every single night. You know, like it still doesn't really seem like we've, we've experienced the full like Duke Zion, you know, where he's just like overwhelming everybody. He's dunking left and right. Like even when he had that, that pretty good season in 2021, it, it kind of felt like you're like, well, I was, I was expecting this to look a little more impressive, I guess. Uh, maybe I'm just being a, a little too critical. I, I don't know. I, I, I just, maybe the better team around him will, will open up opportunities for him because, you know, the team, the, the defense is going to have to focus on McCollum and Ingram and even Valanciunas and, um, you know, maybe, maybe him playing in this role uh, is going to actually open that up for him and he'll start looking like that more. Plus the, you know, the improvement he's, he's going to make. All right. We transitioned from Zion Williamson to basically like a, a bad Zion Williamson, who is Julius Randle. Uh, <laughs> fantastic fantasy player two seasons ago. Uh, in total value, uh, eight cat leagues, he was he was the seventh best player two seasons ago in fantasy. And part of that was he played almost every game, played 71 games in that abbreviated season. Actually, I mean, played 72 last year, so was mostly healthy, uh, but finished the season 35 spots lower at number 42. And and again, he was he was in like the top 10% in terms of games played. So had he missed as many games as a lot of big-time players did, 
he would have easily ranked outside of the top 50. Uh, you know, massive, massive regression in terms of field goal percentage, free throw percentage, especially three point percentage. That was down more than 10 percentage points year over year. Uh, which version of Julius Randle are we getting next season? I I would assume we're getting last year's version of Julius Randle, who you mentioned finished in the 40s total value. He was in the 60s in per game value. If I can get him, if I can get him in the sixth round, the fifth, sixth round, I'll take him there. I mean, he's he's very good fantasy player still, even though we saw some regression from his shooting. Um, you know, is going to be I mean, Brunson uh, Brunson's going to be the number one option, I guess guess it's it's kind of hard to determine like who between Brunson Barrett and Randall is kind of like what's the what's the order of operations there and who's the number one option who's gonna hand the ball who gets the play call for them the most and they'll have plenty of opportunities to play without each other because the Knicks aren't an especially deep team I mean they have quickly and Toppin but that's about it I, I guess Grimes is there but um so I think they'll all kind of get their shine but um I I'm not expecting like a a bounce back to like 24 10 and 6 all nba caliber julius randall season yeah i just don't think that's going to be possible that was that was one of the like looking back just one of the strangest one-off seasons ever uh yeah I mean, he was an all nba guy he was people were putting him kind of in the, the fringes of the mvp debate that year and i just i don't think that's coming back I, I don't think adding brunson helps him at all i think as barrett you know gets better and more confident that just takes more away and, and more than anything randall just did not he doesn't really seem interested in in not operating that way you know like I, I think he got a taste of it last year or two years ago now and kind of thought he was that guy and when things weren't going his way last year I, I, I didn't love the way uh that he responded although you know I mean it was there's a little bit of piling on going uh, I think by the New York media but um like a very very tough player to project going into next season because we have you know we have a, a much larger sample of mediocre play and then one like extreme standout season that that doesn't quite seem replicable. Um, all right, two more that I want to get to. Desmond Bain of the Memphis yeah. Grizzlies. We are we are going into year three of Desmond Bain, who going into his rookie year, I don't remember really thinking anything of him. I'm sure we had like just a ridiculous like ultra low projection, and you know his rookie year he averaged nine points a game, worked his way into the fantasy radar uh, just by virtue of, of hitting a bunch of threes and playing way more minutes than we thought, and then last year. You know, doubles his scoring, rebounds are up, assists are up. He's a 1.2 steals per game guy, uh, maintains the same efficiency, shot 44% from three, uh, up nine percentage points at the line, up to 90%. Uh, so when I was going through and, and making some tweaks to his projection, uh, my question is, like, does he have another level to go up? Or, you know, is because you watch him play and, and you, you don't really look at this guy and say, like, man, he's a future superstar. Uh, he's just he's kind of already this super role player at a young age. Um, so I guess the question is, like, does he jump from 18 points a game to 24 points a game? Or is this just kind of who he's going to be? That's really tough. I I think he's going he's gonna to end up taking on more usage at the beginning of the season, I think by default because of Jaron Jackson's injury. Yeah. Um, obviously, like, Brandon Clark's going to get a bump and stuff like that, but it, it's not it's not the same. He's not going to be able to replicate what, what Jaron Jackson does. So I think he'll get a bump initially. Um, and, I mean... Bain, he was up and down in the playoffs, but he was also hurt, right? For for a good stretch of that. Um Yeah, he was I think he had that like abdominal or back issue. Yeah, at the beginning of the Golden State series, he kind of disappeared with the back issue. But you look at you know, you look at the Minnesota series, he averaged 24 points. 
50, yep. he, he shot 50, 50, 90 and averaged 24 points against the, against the Timberwolves. So I think he does have another gear in him. Um, so I, I don't know if I would project him up to 24, but 22, I, I don't think that's, you know, maybe, and you know, you could bump him up as assist too. I, he's, he's very good. So the Jackson point, that's a good one because I, I think based on his history, he'll probably end up missing more time than we expect. Uh, but I mean, I think Bain was also helped by Dylan Brooks missing like half of last season. You know, he missed yeah, almost right. essentially the entire first half. Uh, but the counterpoint to that is over the full year, Bain didn't even average 30 minutes a game. So, you know, this is a, re- a really deep team. They did lose Kyle Anderson. That's big. Uh, they, they did kind of consolidate and got rid of DeAnthony Melton, but they brought in a few rookies who I think are going to be part of this rotation. I mean, even Zaire Williams was playing big minutes last year. Um, you know, there's an argument that they could bump Bain up, you know, four or five minutes per game if they really need to. And obviously you would expect the numbers to rise accordingly there. I want to figure out or figure out, I want to finish out with two Dallas Mavericks and neither of these guys really occurred to me. One of them's been hurt. One of them only spent half the season with the Dallas Mavericks coming over at the deadline, but with Jalen Brunson gone and the Mavericks really not replacing him. I mean, you bring in Christian Wood to, to, I guess, be the number two guy. Um, but I, I was going through and doing projections for, for Spencer Dinwiddie and Tim Hardaway. Like there's a case to be made that one of these guys might be the second leading scorer on this team. Uh, yeah, it's uh, I think it will be THJ or Christian Wood. Um, but yeah, they're, they're tough to project. Um, they did, they did not replace Jalen Brunson. Dinwiddie is really hard because Dinwiddie, the beginning of Dinwiddie's season with, I mean, he had some stretches when he was playing with Washington. It sounded like he was really unhappy with the Wizards and they didn't necessarily want him there. So I don't, I don't really know how much to look into those numbers. He had some awful stretches with the Wizards last year. Um, but obviously like came around in the playoffs, um, played really well. So I think you can, I mean, he played well in the playoffs, but not crazy. You know, is averaging like 14 and three. Um, you know, I, I, maybe you can kind of put them at the full season numbers of like 14 and five. Um, that's tough. Uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. I mean, he's turned into more of a shooter. I mean, maybe they'll give him a little more playmaking responsibility now. Um, you know, now that Brunson is gone, but to me, I mean, he's just, he takes half of his shots from three, uh, more than half of his shots from three. I don't really expect too much to change with him because I do think Wood is going to fill that, uh, the usage gap a lot. So, um, you know, I, I would expect Hardaway to kind of do what he's been doing. You can kind of draft him with your last pick if you need like a high floor guy, I guess. Um, I, I don't even know if you necessarily have to draft like Dinwiddie or Hardaway, though, in a standard league. Do you? I, I feel like I always find myself taking Hardaway at the end of drafts just to like help shore up three pointers. Like he's, I, I'm always fine with him yeah. being like my last starter in stake league or something like that. So I'll, I'll probably end up drafting him. I mean, Dinwiddie, Dinwiddie, like his good games when he came to Dallas were amazing. I mean, he had some some huge performances in the playoffs, and his numbers with the Mavs were significantly better than they were with Washington. But that was also with Hardaway hurt, and you know, just a completely different situation. I, I think all this just makes me like Luka Doncic even more. I feel like they finally <laughs> have a team that, like talent wise, they probably got worse. But I think they finally have a team that is just it's built like those those 2000s Cavs teams, right, where it's just you're doing everything. You're kicking the shooters. You know, everything is going to run through you. Not that it hasn't been already, but I think they have even better pieces that fit around Luka now. JaVale McGee at center. Uh, JaVale McGee, Christian Wood, Dorian Finney-Smith. 
Tim Hardaway, Luka Doncic. I mean, that's it is what it is. That does feel like it could have been a LeBron team. Yes, yes. I, I think like Dwight Powell is like this version of uh, Danielle Marshall. Yeah, pretty much. All right, um, let's do the Vegas draft quick. Uh, we, we've already ran through your your final five picks, uh, but you started Harden, Davis, Bam, Zion, OG, Beccaro, Isaac, Sexton, Covington, Fultz. Pretty formidable team. I mean, this was a, what, 12-team, 10-player league. So, you know, even even in like the ninth, 10th round, you're, you're still getting like fairly big-name guys. Uh, but But overall thoughts on your team? I like my team. I stacked uh, the position of scarcity center slash power forward early um, with Davis, Adebayo, Zion. Um, Sexton was a flyer. I mean, late round flyers. I love taking Covington. Huge, huge Robert Covington guy. Um, even though I don't think his role is going to be that big. But um, I, I think, I don't know, man. There were some really interesting values at, at the end of the draft that I, I think are are probably worth mentioning, like, uh, KOB got uh, uh, Devin Vassell with his last pick. Yeah. I mean, you start looking at that Spurs team. Um, someone's got <laughs> someone's got a score in that team. Um, you know, Clint Capella went pretty late. DeAndre Hunter, I'm still interested in. Uh, Gorgon Hayward, your last pick. Um, I really like in the tenth round. If you could get Gorgon Hayward in the tenth round of a draft, you just do it. Like you don't even think twice about that. Um, how do you feel about your team? I, I like my team. I mean, it's it, we we can't really emphasize enough like how little prep was put into some of these picks. Yeah, you know, you're, you're like <laughs> yeah. you're like running over to the pool and be like, hey, it's your turn, man. Uh, who's available? Like I I actually pride myself on never being this guy, but there were like three times during this draft where I tried to take somebody who was like four rounds gone. Uh, I was pretty right. embarrassing, uh, especially with Pete Shanky running the draft. But you know, it is what it is. Um, I you know I think in this format. Jokic, Giannis, and Doncic have to be the first three picks in some order, right? Is there any debate there? Yeah, probably. I mean, I think there might be a case for Embiid, but I, I yeah. wouldn't. Yeah, I'm still an Embiid skeptic when it comes to health, even though he's right. You know, proven me wrong the last couple of years. I, I'm still a little iffy there. Um, so those three guys were gone, and then Shannon took Jason Tatum. Uh, I took, took I took Carl Towns with the fifth overall pick. Uh, I, I think, you know, you could, you could do Towns, you could do Embiid, you could do Trey Young, Curry, KD, all those guys went in succession. Um, I grabbed Tyrese Halliburton in round two. I think he's going to be an assist monster. You know, he yeah. was second in the league in steals last year. Steals are really valuable in this league. So I was happy with that. Um, you know, Shannon took Kate Cunningham right after Tyrese Halliburton, which I actually, I like a lot. I think in this league, you know, you're not worried about field goal percentage. And I mean, Cunningham could be like a 23, seven and seven guy next year. So I think that was a good pick. Uh, and then I went Siakam, Middleton, Nurkic, Maxi, Tobias Harris, Ben Matherin, Anthony Simons, Gordon Hayward. So, you know, a little bit of risk with some younger players, but I thought getting Maxi in the sixth and then Simons in the ninth, who, I mean, who knows? I, I don't know what to expect here. Like last year was just such a weird season for him. Um, but if, you know, if he averages like 18 points a game, I'll just kind of try to bank that. Yeah, I think that makes sense. I uh, I really liked your Mathrin pick. I was I was kind of I've been thinking about him a little bit because I'm looking at this Indiana roster and it's pretty bleak. Uh, and he was the sixth overall pick. Like I think they're going to really feature him. I mean, he's is he going to start? Is he going to start over Duarte? I I would start him over Duarte. I, I mean, Duarte looked okay last year, but I, I think there's no debate. If you're saying like who's the the better asset going forward, it's pretty clearly Matherin. Right. So I I mean, do you 
I don't know a talk about Matherin. I, I actually barely saw him in summer league at all. Do you think he's a dark horse for rookie of the year or is that? Oh yeah. Okay. Cause dark I, for sure. I mean, would, it's like, would I bet him over Holmgren or bad No, but I mean, he's listed at 10 to one. I actually don't like, I think he should be a little bit higher than that. To be honest. I, I think if he was like 15 or 20 to one, I would like it. I, I just think bad and Holmgren are going to be really good. And they're going to, that's going to be a tough combo to, to be yeah. better than. I, I agree. But if you're looking at guys who are in a position to be like the second option on their team, I, Matherin is, right? I mean, he, uh, would they, who else do they have? Heald, Buggy Heald, Miles Turner? They might yeah, even get rid it, of Turner. It depends. Yeah. And it's like Miles Turner, even if he's there, he's not your second option. Heald is basically just a, a shooter at this point. Yeah. I mean, I th- there's definitely a, a world in which, like, at some point, he's for sure the number two guy on this team. So. Yeah, I mean, you, you have the same concerns with any rookie guard. Like, what's the field goal percentage going to look like? Is, is the three-point shot going to translate? But I, I think, again, in this league where you're just you're basically just looking at the five counting stat categories, uh, I, I think he's going to be really valuable. He killed it in summer league. 19 points yeah. in 22 minutes a game, 48, 39, 77 shooting. It was nice. Yeah, he's, he's a machine. Um, anything else that stands out to you? From this draft, I mean, I, we, we kind of have like a crude photograph uh, of the draft board, which somehow ended up in my hotel room. I, I just left it oh. there. I was not going to, I wasn't going to check that uh, at the airport. Uh, but so all we have is, is photo evidence of the draft. Uh, Well, Town, Towns is a guy, you took him and I was kind of, I wanted to get your opinion on him because I think I felt like he was also kind of a tough guy to project because of Gobert's presence there. Mostly just about Towns like rebounds. I, I, you know, cause he, I don't know what to make of it because he, he could, I feel like he could average, like he averaged 9.8 rebounds a game last year is the lowest of his career. Uh, I mean, I feel like you could just assume Gobert steals two rebounds a game from him. And then Towns is suddenly at like yep. seven and a half boards a game. Yeah. I, I ran into that. Yeah. That, that's actually somebody we probably should have mentioned when we were talking projections and rankings. I think you're right. I, I backed him down. I think I have him at like 8.3 rebounds per game, which, you know, for a guy who has like multiple double-digit rebounding seasons, it, it feels wrong. But, I mean, Gobert is the one that's going to be getting rebounds. Like, he, he maybe he gives up a couple. Um, and that's something that I, I factored in, too, is like Utah never really had another big man next to him, right? It was always like Bogdanovich or Royce O'Neal. Like, there was no competition for rebounds for Gobert. So I, I think the most likely result is both of those guys end up losing rebounds per game. Well, they did the Derek Favors thing for a bit, didn't they? Uh, I mean, a while ago, I guess. But I, I feel like he was usually operating as like the backup center for 17 minutes a game. Yeah, yeah, especially yeah. Once Gobert actually got good, yeah. So I don't, I don't know. I mean, I still really like Towns. I mean, maybe he'll shoot more threes. Yeah. Uh, you know, like he only shot five threes a game last year. Two seasons prior was at eight threes a game. So maybe we'll get Towns at like eight threes a game. Um. It's it's kind of hard to read, but um, I still I still like him a lot as a fantasy prospect. It's just it's hard to determine like what what that does to his fantasy value. Plus, you know, are his blocks per game going to go down now? He was only at one point one to begin with. Now he's not yeah. around the rim, so it's it's a right. little tough to read. Yeah, I, I was kind of talking myself in circles on that one too, where it's like, yeah, maybe he's not around the rim as much. He's not guarding fives, but maybe he'll be guarding shorter players, so that right. <laughs> that'll enable <laughs> yeah, right. him to make more blocks. I don't I don't know. It's like who who, who really knows, dude. Um, I, I think the rebounds are going to be, you know, those you can project for, for a, a decrease, but I, I, I don't know. It's like asking a seven footer who's athletic, like towns to get to 1.2 blocks per game. Doesn't seem like too much. No, it, it doesn't. No. 
All right, man. We'll wrap it here. Uh, appreciate you taking the time. I know you're knee deep in, in outlooks and, and other off season content, but uh, we'll be kicking into the high gear very soon. I mean, as we were recording, Pete Schenke was, was messaging us to inform us that Yahoo has launched their fantasy basketball uh, hub uh, over on their site. Obviously we're in the thick of, of fantasy football season, but uh, not too much longer until everything gets started. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about. But why? What do we know about magnesium? Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.